Hello and welcome. I'm Kate Harding. I'm Samita Mukhopadhyay. And this is Feminasty. We are so excited today to be talking about how to stay positive in Trump's America, how to talk to family members who you may not agree with, and how to work in media in Trump's America. On that note, we turn to our guest. Super excited today to have um, one of my oldest and dearest friends. Like when I mean old, I mean like we've been we've been homies for a minute. And <laughs> even if you if you dig back, you could probably find video of us at um, from years ago. <laughs> don't encourage that. Please don't encourage that. <laughs> <laughs> from <laughs> from certain music festivals we used to go to. But I'm really excited to have Anne Friedman on today. For those of you who don't know, which most of you probably do know, Anne is a freelance journalist. She's been a leader in the field of gender and media, technology, and culture. She's the co-host of a very popular podcast that Hillary Clinton was recently on called Call Your Girlfriend um, with her very good friend, Amina So, And she's also a columnist at New York Magazine, at the Los Angeles Times. She's a contributor editor at The Gentlewoman, has written for The New Republic, The New York Times, Book Review, Elle, The Guardian. And then most importantly, or not most importantly, but something you can do right away, which is sign up for her newsletter, the Ann Friedman Weekly, which is just an essential weekly guide to the world, I would say. So, Ann, welcome. Hey. Hey, Ann. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being on. You're like our most podcast famous person here. <laughs> Whoa. Which is a dubious distinction, I think, but I'm happy to be here. <laughs> hey, internet famous used to be a dubious distinction, yeah. and now it's a thing. Like, I don't even understand all these children with their YouTube stars. That's true. Um, so. <laughs> so, Anne, uh, you know, like we mentioned, we, uh, you know, are talking to fabulous women about how they are coping in Trump's America. So so how are you doing? You're actually, you're not from a coastal place. You're You're from Iowa. I am one of the few people in my world who uh, was in October of 2016 telling people that they should not be so confident that things were going to break the way we wanted them to break. Yeah. Like I remember going to a wedding. I went to a friend's wedding in New Haven, Connecticut in, I think it was October, maybe it was September of 2016. And I remember having a conversation with my friend and his mother who we were staying with there and them being like, Oh, whatever it's in the bag. And I was like, excuse me. No, <laughs> it's actually not. And I would get really angry every day when I opened my like New York times app, because I don't know if you remember, but they had this, um, little feature that was on the homepage of the app that was like the day's polling. Mm -hmm. And of course it always showed like, you know, this incredibly skewed polling in Hillary's favor. And I was just like, you can't show people this. Like, this is what makes people think they don't have to phone bank. Like it, oh, it made God, me yeah. so angry. And I know the New York times is not on board with my like, you know, extreme left-wing feminist agenda. So they were probably not <laughs> thinking along those lines, but like, but yeah. So, and you know, and it's not to say that I was like, you know, I, I do have some regrets about not writing that in, in a column format yeah. or like not yeah. saying that directly. Cause I think I was also like, I'm disdainful of the whole political predictions game right like I don't want to I, I think it's dumb to be like she's got it in the bag but I think it's also dumb to like I don't know I guess I was just like polling analysis is not what I do and so I never wrote anything about it I just kind of complained to my friends privately about um, people I knew not feeling like they needed to do online phone banking or knock on doors or anything like that so yeah right 
Well, anyway, it lulled, yeah. us, lulled us all into a false sense of security, right? And then I think the other negative effect of that was not only that it kept voters at home, but that it kind of emboldened people to talk shit about Hillary, um, thinking like, oh, well, we're going to get her as president anyway, so I'm going to get my digs in now. Right. Um, and I feel like it, that just really kind of reinforced the whole, like, um, you know, it was just super unfashionable to just, to actually like Hillary Clinton or be excited about getting her as president. It was just like, oh, well, she'll save us from Trump. So I guess, and then oops. Right. And I think that there's also the sense too of like, I mean, I'm um, related by blood to a lot of people whose political views do not match mine. And they are not people who were excited about Trump during the election. Mm -hmm. Like they really disliked him, but they were also people who really, really dislike Hillary. And so I was kind of doing the math of like, okay, even if you don't vote for Trump, even if you write in Jeb exclamation point or whatever, right. um, you you are still going to, like, like, still that's not a vote for her. And so, you know, in my mind, I was thinking about, like, um, not so much, like, oh, you know, a false sense of security, so much as, like, oh, God, like, I don't know exactly what this is going to mean. So now, what is interesting, like, thinking about, like, the period that we're in now, um, I'm I'm doing a lot of thinking about like um, what does it mean to look at the people in my life who are not politically aligned with me but who also don't like this president and think about how to bring them along. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm that's that's kind of what I'm obsessed with right now on a on a personal on a personal level. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting to me because that's one of the things that comes up that um, so Samita and I are in the middle of our book tour as we're recording this. And people keep asking us in person about, you know, how do I talk to my relatives? What do I say to my white family that always votes Republican that may not have voted for Trump but really didn't want to vote for Hillary? Do you have strategies for our listeners, Anne, on how to approach that? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think also, um, you know, you mentioned – uh, the podcast that I do on Call Your Girlfriend. And like Am- Amina and I feel differently about this, obviously, because we have really different backgrounds. And I think that this is something I really appreciated about the editing work that you two put into this anthology and like recognizing when I when I say all of this, I'm not like, yes, I would like every woman of color in America to adopt these tactics as well. Like I'm pretty <laughs> much exclusively thinking about and talking to people who are of a background similar to me, which is to say, white women whose family members fit this profile of like, they don't like Trump, but also they're not resisting. Right. Um, and, and so, so just to be totally clear that I'm not like, hello, people who are already like, you know, facing existential threats and completely marginalized, you should be doing this work too. I'm talking (laughs) to other white women. Um, and yeah. And so for me, it's, uh, it's kind of, I don't know. There are a couple of things. One is asking a lot of questions and there's an there's an interview with Krista Tippett who hosts on Being who I have mixed feelings about but generally I think when it comes to stuff like this is a pretty interesting figure to look to and she back in 2016 was like if you're thinking about finding the middle ground you're you're already coming to it with a sense of um, like I'm here and you're there and there's like some like midpoint like some like perfect middle midpoint where we need to come together and she she sort of rejects that and is like listen like what you need to start with is listening to people like what what they're expressing and then sort of saying okay where is where are the points of overlap 
Um, and looking for points of overlap is how I do my work as a columnist. It's like, how does this issue intersect with that issue? Or how does this issue I care about intersect with the headlines today? And like looking for not necessarily a point of commonality, but just like, where do these things touch? And, um, and I think about that with regard to like my mom, who is super conservative Catholic, but even conservative Catholic doctrine and my politics have some points where they touch. It's like, we have similar feelings about the death penalty and like her feelings on immigration have really evolved. And, um, you know, there are certain areas, cough, abortion, cough, where we're (laughs) never going to get close to each other. (laughs) Um, but you know, when it comes to a lot of these other things, I think that like there's, there's not such a big difference. And so, you know, I, I also realized that, um, like I'm thinking about who, who she really respects and looks to and thinking about the people who I know, the public figures who I know who um, are maybe saying some things I, I don't disagree with, but saying them more in her style or in her vibe. So I'm taking her to go see Glennon Doyle Mountains together uh, tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and there's some people like shout out to Jamia Wilson and like a lot of other people who I love who are very much like firmly in our feminist resistance camp who are a part of this. And I think like when I thought about, okay, like who's going to be the figure other than her own beloved daughter, obviously, <laughs> to like pull my mom along. And it's probably going to be someone like Glennon Doyle, who is like a Christian, who comes from a Christian perspective, but who um, frankly, is talking really explicitly about whiteness these days and doing other um, interesting things that, like, you know, also hold true with my politics. So mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, like maybe there are certain public figures or certain books or certain things where our beliefs do rub up against each other and trying to bring more of those things into the lives of the people I love rather than being like, how can I convince you with this like really snappy tweet that I laughed at this morning, which is not at all <laughs> going to be the kind of thing that resonates with you. So, yeah. so yeah, I don't, I don't know. And I don't know that I have an answer, you know, like it's not like, Oh yeah, here are like 10 things to say to your relative. I mean, this is not easily interneted. Um, yeah, right. I, but yeah, I think that's so smart though. I love that idea that like, instead of trying to think in terms of, you know, compromise or looking at this middle ground that we're both staring at and not knowing how to get there, recognizing that like there already are things that we agree on. Um, and, and I think that's true with almost anyone. You know, I was just reading about, um, you know, somebody who I am so far away from being a libertarian, but I care about civil liberties. And so I was listening to someone who identifies as a libertarian talking about things. And I was just like, okay, you know, like, there are things where I want no government interference, even though there are also things where I want, you know, a lot more government um, oversight and or uh, funding. Um, and and so, yeah, just thinking like, oh, right. So there's somebody who I think of as just like completely opposite my political views. And yet here was this point of overlap. And I think that's um, that's a really interesting thing to be trying to focus on with the family members, the the cousins, the uncles and even the parents who. Uh, seem so much on opposite poles from where we are. Yeah. And I think about that too. Like I, I had a conversation with um, uh, Alicia Garza, who's one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter. Uh, and a contributor to Nasty Women. Sorry. Yes, exactly. Sorry. I'm, you know what? Your list is so long and illustrious. Sometimes I'm like, wait, <laughs> like, is it everyone? It's literally everyone. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, so she and I had a conversation that, um, was pretty wide ranging, but she also, you know, was talked a bit about her choice to, 
participate publicly in the Women's March and how that was essentially a stretch for her to be like, can I be, um, essentially, can I explore this area of overlap with people whose politics might not 100% be where mine are? And I, I've, I've been thinking about a lo- that a lot in terms of what is the equivalent for um, you know, white women in this day and age or like economically secure white women in, in, in particular. And I'm like, okay, well, you know what? My version of like, I'm going to try to be in solidarity in the places I can be with people who are not where I'm at maybe kind of looks like in some cases doing this work with family members or people who are a little bit more conservative than I am and who are white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing that, you know, we have an amazing essay in the book from Nicole Chung, and, and she writes about, you know, she's a transracial adoptee and, and how her family supported Trump and, and kind of going back to her family and, and having to talk to them about it. And it's a really, really powerful essay. But one thing that I've been thinking a lo- about a lot as people kind of ask us this question on tour is, is the repetition of it. It's like you have to keep going back and doing it again and again and again. And I think about how, you know, it took my mom so long to come around on like gay rights right and and it was literally like me campaigning her for 30 years um and that this work is so difficult that we have to kind of go back and do it over and over and that's why it's important to do it with the people you love because they're the ones that you kind of can are willing to do that extended amount of work with yeah and they're the ones who will keep seeing you after you've yeah had that fight. Yeah. And I also think too, though, but you, you have all this great knowledge about those people. You know, when I think about my family members, it's like, um, you know, you mentioning gay rights. Like I had a similar experience with my mom where it's like, okay, it's not only, I know it's funny, it's tempting to be like, oh, I know all the reasons why your beliefs are super fucked up. Right. (laughs) Um, But it's also like, I have all this knowledge about what does motivate her and what she does care about. And like using those points of entry to conversation, like using your knowledge of of people who you've known for a really long time to try to bring them along is going to work better than any, like, you know, like, clicky Facebook headline right like it's and and you're right you're totally right about like the years of work and like these people cannot cut you out like in many cases like my own mother is not going to cut me out from my political beliefs we've tested those waters (laughs) and (laughs) and the answer is like we're still sailing it's fine so (laughs) yeah so these can be like, you know, and I think one of the things that another question we're getting a lot is like, how do you stay hopeful right now? You know, we talk about like a lot of the change that we need to see is going to take a really long time or that the election of Trump really was such a shock for so many people in terms of how much work there is ahead of us. I mean, how do you stay hopeful? Okay, I have two really concrete things. Um, the first is I subscribe to the Small Victories newsletter, which at first, when I signed up, I was like, okay, yeah, cool. I'm glad someone's doing this work collecting, you know, things that don't feel gloom and doom um, or right out, outright apocalyptic. Um, and, and it is pretty amazing. Like what I feel when I open that newsletter every week and read through the list of things that are happening that are either kind of like positive developments in the organizing space or like the resistance world, but also state level candidates and legislation and Um, you know, obviously like our logical brains know that not everything is moving backward and not everything is bad, but like it's, it is, I can't even express how helpful it is to me to open that and read in a bulleted list, like here are the good things too. 
and Stephanie and Allison who put that together are just great. Um, so I really recommend subscribing to small victories. Uh, the other thing that I've been doing is like when I feel pretty hopeless and bad about the world, I like do some kind of positive affirmative act for someone who I love in my world. Um, you know, I've been sending a little bit more mail. I'm like, you know, speaking of things my mom taught me, right. I'm like very much a care package oriented person. Samita, you know this. (laughs) Um, and it, it really does make me feel better when I think about like what is trash about the world. Like the people, the people in my community are very much what sustains me and it feels really good sometimes when I'm when I'm feeling really low to be like you know what I'm gonna like write a silly postcard to a friend of mine who lives far away and like there is something about knowing that you know she she's working on her corner of the world and doing what she's doing in her professional space and in her own community which is far from mine and and just like I don't know like I I am someone very much who can find good words for people I love at a time when I can't find good words for like the abstract Mm -hmm. stuff that's Mm -hmm. happening in the news and so I really um it sort of happened a little bit naturally where I was legit just worried about my friends and was doing it. Um, and now it's become something that I almost like practice for me. Um, and so, yeah, so I really, I really recommend, um, loving texts and snail mail to your friends and, uh, and small victories. Yeah. Um, (laughs) while I was in the middle, Kate of running, you know, a newsroom and during a beginning of Trump's presidency and sent me a care package and it had a hoodie a sweatshirt in it that just said can I live which I wore <laughs> on the day of the inauguration <laughs> my, staff, my staff was like yeah no we respect that we respect that oh my god and also I have to tell you the story I don't remember if I ever told you that the story about that sweatshirt is this designer Lindsay Eith who's based in Austin Texas sent me a care package of a bunch of stuff and she was like hey like redistribute this among your incredible friends and it was like a oh, gift wow to her from her to me that I then like passed on and like honestly there's something about that too where I'm like oh yeah like there is there is like a chain effect where it made me feel great to get her package it made me feel great to send that to you Samita it made me feel great to see your really hot selfie wearing the sweatshirt (laughs) you obviously cut the neck open and flash danced it and it was hot 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 Um, which as Kate now knows can I just say as soon as yeah yes as soon as we got to Portland, we had to go to Wild Fang and buy some feminist T-shirts. And Samita borrowed scissors from the desk downstairs to be able to flash dance her new T-shirts immediately. <laughs> Once a 90s feminist, forever a 90s right. feminist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I see you. I have never felt more seen. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Kate, did you have any questions? Yeah, um, I want to ask Anne specifically, um, you are someone who has done some like pretty impressive pivots in your life to try and keep yourself saner and get yourself out of toxic environments, um, work-wise, location-wise, et cetera. And I want to know if you have any kind of advice or insights about making major life changes as opposed to just the small things that we can do every day? Hmm. I mean, I, I think that, I'll, well, not all of my big changes have been the result of like, you know, meditative forethought. Like sometimes <laughs> I just get fired. <laughs> so, so I do, I do want to like add the caveat that it's not like I'm like some mastermind of my existence where every choice I've made has been for my overall like health and blah, blah, blah. But Um, I will say there have been a few periods in my life where I am 
day in and day out, a kind of low level dissatisfied with what's going on. And, um, you know, when that, when that happens, even though I am like, say getting steadily promoted at work, or even though I've got really great friends, like then I start to ask, you know, historically have started to ask questions of like, you know, maybe, uh, this professional environment isn't right for me, or maybe like this job, even though I'm progressing in it, isn't right for me. So I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just like paying attention to the low level discontent I've felt at various points in my life. Um, and it also has taken me a long time to figure out how I want to be a professional person in my industry, which sounds kind of silly. It's like not something like when you're younger and you're, when you're early in your career, you can't really choose. It's like everything. Of course, I'm going to show up for everything. Of course, I'm going right. to try to meet everyone. Of course, you know, I mean, there's like there's some of that that you just do because you're getting yourself established. And as um, I mean, you know part of the perspective on this is like working in the same industry for more than 10 years is um, leads to other types of privilege and security. And so for me, that's knowing that I don't like living in a place where my social life is like a direct circle overlap with my professional life. I really like, I really, really value um, the, the sort of day-to-day friendships in my life with people who are not media people, who are not journalists, who are not constantly processing their thoughts in like (laughs) snappy web articles and hot takes um because like there's I don't know I feel like I really gained some perspective that um like when I was an editor which I was for six years I I thought like a lot of editors do which is that um there's something that happens in the news there's a period of time during which people are interested in it and then it expires like a carton of milk or something. Um, and then it's like, then people don't care about that anymore. And yeah. it's like, that's just not how people are. You know, when I hang out with, you know, my friends who are not working in media, like we're still talking about like Bill Cosby and not just because Harvey Weinstein is in the news. Like we're right. still, you know, we're still talking about um, the, the election and we're still talking about, Charlottesville and we're still talking about you know things where like if I were to pitch them as a journalist I wouldn't send anyone a pitch right now that is um about horrible racist men in polo shirts with tiki torches pegged to (laughs) Charlottesville I have to peg it to the latest rally or whatever you know what I mean it's like it's very much um it's I think that real people kind of consume things with a much longer view. You know, not everyone reads books right when they come out. Sorry for y'all on yeah. book tour, but like no, you no, know. I hear you. <laughs> and like I, I think about that with myself too. I mean, all the time I'm like, woohoo, I'm getting to my twenty fourteen reading list now yeah. at the end of twenty seventeen. <laughs> um and so just a, that little bit of perspective has been really helpful for me. Um not that it's always easy to convince other editors, but just that uh I that has enabled me to take some more time and be like, you know what? Like it's, it's okay that I don't have my feelings formulated about this news event right now because something is going to happen that I can tie it to. And I can use those thoughts later. And everyone who I do care about reaching is still going to be thinking about it. And so, yeah, so there's that. There's also just like personally knowing that I like to, um, when I do have work conversations or I do talk about my profession, I really like to do that in like a one-on-one setting. Like I love going to drinks with other writers. I love hanging out with my editors. I just 
don't like going to parties where everyone mm-hmm. is that. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's been an important revelation too. It's like, oh yeah, I do like n- air quote network in person. I just like do it in a more one-on-one way. And I see someone every third trip to New York as opposed to going to a giant party where I see everyone at once. I don't know. Um, it's, it's all like, it's a process. <laughs> yeah. It's something where, and I completely relate to that because I have, I've never lived in New York. So I have always been outside of that media circle. Um, And it can be, you know, I find in some ways like social media was wonderful for me as someone who was writing first from the Midwest and now from Miami to be able to connect with a lot of people in New York that I, that I couldn't just go have lunch with or go have drinks with. Um, But now it's become that thing of like, I get on Twitter and all it is, is a ton of media people talking about what happened five minutes ago. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, literally five minutes ago and trying to, I, I feel like I maybe have to force myself to bow out of that virtual conversation the way I sort of bow out of the whole, you know, obligation to go to book parties or, or magazine parties or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Twitter is an option. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's not, you know, like it's important to remember that it's, it's an option. And I do have to remind myself of that sometimes too. It's like, um, that it's a, it's a tool among many. And, um, and you know, in some of like, I think my best professional relationships have been fostered in like an email chain or in, you know, in more private spaces. Um, you know, just as there are some people I definitely did meet on Twitter or cement my friendships with on Twitter. So I don't know. I mean, it's, um, it's not like, it's not the best thing for everything. I think is just a reminder. (laughs) I think we all know that like, obviously, but then like our thumbs, like, like just gravitate to the app. Like yeah. as if by Ouija board yeah. magic. And yeah. I will try to hear your voice in my head in the future going, Twitter is optional. <laughs> and Friedman says Twitter is optional. Yeah. It is. I swear to God. Like I really, I mean, I, I definitely usually, I, I, I check in on it. Like I check my mentions and stuff every day. But like there are some days where I'm like, oh yeah, like everything I read, I feel like tweeting this. And there are some days I'm just like, how have I ever come up with a tweet yeah. ever in my life? <laughs> I'm just not interested. And I, I don't feel a need anymore on those days to like push through and find something to tweet anyway or whatever good good Um, yeah yeah and just you know uh all three of us met before twitter yeah wait there was a world before twitter (laughs) (laughs) i don't believe you you're lying Uh, excuse me (laughs) (laughs) samita do you want to ask our question we ask our final question Anne friedman (laughs) what makes you a nasty woman Having an opinion about literally everything. <laughs> my my when even when I was a small child, uh, my my mother would say two things to me frequently. One is, "Tell us what you really think." <laughs> Point being, obviously, I'm always telling you exactly what I really right. think. Um, and the second one being, when Anne's unhappy, we're all unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I really, I like to think I've gotten a little bit better on that last point, but I do think that, um, I've been thinking a lot about there, there's this Joel Soloway makers talk about, um, which I don't entirely agree with, with all of Jill's points, but about the kind of face women put on over their face and in terms of like physically wearing makeup, but also presenting a more palatable self to the world. And that being something that we're all taught to do, we're all rewarded for doing and about, um, you know, in Jill's case, her like, sorry, them finding a lot of power in, um, stepping outside of that. And I, I don't really, like I said, I don't identify with all of that, but I do think that, um, there being, 
not a lot of difference in terms of how I conduct my life with my friends and my loved ones and how I project outwardly in terms of what I believe in my sense of humor. Um, not that I say everything, you know, all of the same things or not that I'm like, you know, have nothing private, but just the tone or like the, the opinions I would be, um, comfortable voicing there being very little daylight between public and private is something I think is pretty nasty. I'm pretty proud of that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing your nasty wisdom with us. Anytime. I also have a lot of nipple hair. That's pretty nasty. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm just like, I'm trying to think about it. How did other people answer this question? I'm just like dying to, I can't wait to go back and listen. I love it because you just like you were right yeah. there. Like, what makes you a nasty woman? I have an opinion about literally everything. Well, <laughs> whereas yeah. like everybody else hesitates and like, or they'll laugh or they'll oh, good question. Or they'll ask us. Oh, yes, Anna Holmes like got very belligerent. Like, well, tell me what you mean by nasty women. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I'm really thank you for affirming my nasty truth. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and hey, congrats so much on the book. It like, honestly, I haven't, I, I have skipped around in it. I haven't sat down and like read it cover to cover yet because life, but I am so, so pleased that you guys did this and so happy it's out in Thank the world. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anne. And we are so happy that you are out in the world on Call Your Girlfriend and in your newsletter. And is there anywhere else that people can find you on the internet or do you want to be found? Everything worth finding about me is at annfriedman.com. If it's not linked there, I don't want you to find it. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a challenge. (laughs) All right. Um, Well, yeah, we can't wait to see you soon. Thank you. Take care. (laughs) 